the hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Got a heck of an NFL draft and still question marks on what the Bears could have done, what they have done. We turn to Howard Griffin, the two-time Super Bowl champion, analyst for the Big Ten Network. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, here on ESPN 1000 as we review the draft. Hello, Howard. How we doing, Hoodie? You hanging in there? Uh, I I don't know. I, I'm <laughs> come just, on, man. <laughs> just trying to trying to figure it out. Um, so so I'll ask you this. So the question is, if you draft Cole Komet, then why did uh-huh. you give money to Jimmy Graham for a retirement plan? <laughs> right, because you 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 have to assume right that if you take Cole Komet that high, he's going to be a big part of what you're going to do offensively. I think what you're going to see probably is some a lot of two tight end sets, and and what I mean by that not necessarily in a run situation, but where you see Cole or you see uh, you see both tight ends they're really stretched out and trying to uh, maybe catch the defense in in a different personnel because you got two tight ends that can get out there and, and be very athletic. So you, I guess they're going to try to find some mismatches uh, as they prepare for the season. You mean like San Francisco, right? Or maybe Kansas, <laughs> or Kansas City, like that kind of confusion, stuff like that? Yeah, I, I think that's what they're, they're looking for. Um, you know, Cole is going to be a, a, a really talented guy. When you, when you just watch him, you just, when you just first lay eyes on him, you see just how physical and imposing that he is at this particular point. Now, he's not a great inline blocker. That's not why the Bears draft him. But he's a guy that I think over his time in the National Football League is going to become a better uh, inline blocker. So it's not so so much of a tell that the ball is probably going away from him or the ball is going to be thrown to him. So I think he'll continue to develop uh, as a tight end, and, and I think he's going to have a successful career in the National Football League. You know, there's a lot of um, question marks on how come the Bears did not address the wide receivers you know, earlier in yeah. the draft, but I think – it's what we talked about before, Howard. When you are, are trading your draft picks, trying to win now, trying to plug the gaps on your football team, throwing money here on the defensive line, throwing money here at tight end, throwing money and making deals to get another quarterback, then when you don't have the draft capital, it's hard for you to get the type of players, young players that you want. Maybe that's one of the reasons why the wide receiver position is, is the way it looks. And you think about this, City, there were some, uh, some really – talented wide receivers when they when they took Cole. And that's why you have to believe that maybe this is the direction that they want to go as far as the fit and what they want to look like uh, as far as an offense is concerned uh, with the bigger tight ends or the bigger wide receivers that they can throw at teams and maybe create some mismatches. You look at a guy um, like K.J. Hamler that ended up going to uh, Denver. I mean, it, from Penn State, he's explosive as it gets, and he's going to be a day-one contributor, you know, I think the Cole's going to be a day one contributor too. But when you look at some of the wide receivers that were still available to them in the second round, you know they're very explosive and able to make some plays happen for them. 
Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. I want to just switch to the Big Ten with you as far as players that were drafted. There's no doubt that Chase Young is going to be a, a special player. Uh, people try to compare him to the Bosa's. I would yeah. say that if I'm Chase Young, I'm trying to be above them. Uh, I mean, yeah. the Bosa's already have their, they, you know, they, they've got their uh, their situation locked up as yep. up and coming young players are difference makers. But I've, I'm Chase. I'm trying to be better than that. But as far as some of the others, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on players like Akuda uh, from uh, that went to the Detroit Lions, also David mm-hmm. Arnett, the senior yeah. that went to Las Vegas. What what stands out about those players? You know, uh, when I saw those guys this past summer, uh, and I was telling people, I said, look, they legitimately have three first-rounders that they're going to roll out on the field when they put the when they go out with their secondary, and, and I'm talking about Sean Wade when he steps in and they're playing a the nickel, but you're talking about guys that were built to play man-to-man coverage, press man, but then last year really excelled at playing still man, but were able to play off. You look at Arnett; he he has a safety type body, but because of the way he's been coached there, he's really been able to develop and. This is the guy I was thinking about leaving last year. Comes back, ends up being a first-round pick. You look at Jeff Okuda. I was out there uh, actually the day that I saw them uh, this summer. You know, there were several GMs that were there, and they really were amazed at, or in scouts just what this team looks like and what those two guys look like. Because right now, and this is why I think Okuda went so high, because he's an outstanding player. But there are not a lot of corners that look like him that can play man-to-man and can run. And, and that's one of the things that has really been able to help that program out. And I think these are going to be two players that are, you know have some tremendous upside in the NFL. They're going to take their lumps. There's no doubt about that. But they're going to, when they settle in and, and they understand the system and what they're being asked to do by both uh, the Raiders and also uh, Detroit, I think they're going to have fabulous careers. Howard, I think it's time for you and I to start calling out these teams that don't have value for the running game. I think we need to. I think we need to identify it too, because as I'm watching the first round, right, and then get into the, into day two, yeah. and it's just like, are you going? Are, are you going to seriously tell me that no team could utilize a J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State? They cannot utilize you know quality players that played the running back position like a Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. Yeah. How surprised were you? Um, and again, it was it was uh, round two for some. Some was round yeah. three. But how much did that surprise you of how all of a sudden now people are looking at the running back position as if it's the fantasy draft? Yeah, well, remember now, uh, until really Ezekiel Elliott, I think he, what did he go, like four or five when mm-hmm. he went to Dallas? And then people all of a sudden, okay, well, maybe we ought to take a look. But what happened when you saw the Todd Gurley situation go left after they – uh, awarded him the big contract, people fell back into that box where we don't need to spend a first-round pick on a running back. I think the other thing is this year the draft was just so deep with the wide receivers that you talk about, some offensive linemen and some um, defensive players that, that so many wide uh, running backs had the opportunity to get well, forced, really forced down. And I think the other thing that's interesting to me J.K. Dobbins was the best running back out there, all around back. DeAndre Swift, is, is, he might—he's quicker, uh, and, and it looks like he might be able to add something. But if you want to be able to pound the ball and thump it, you're talking about Dobbins and Taylor. But the other thing too, Cam Cam Akers, who also went 
uh, I believe in the second round. There was not a, I would say, when you look at those four guys I named, none of them really jumped off as far as being that much better than the other one. And I think since they were so close together as players, I think that's one of the things that, that pushed them all of them down into the second round. But again, you know, it doesn't matter. There were a lot of players that went the second round that I think are going to have Pro Bowl careers and you know, as they all want to do is be Hall of Famers, and let's see what happens as their careers move on. So Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, the um, the running back from Wisconsin going to the Colts, that's not surprising. And Dobbins going to the Ravens because the Ravens mm-hmm. just nail it in the draft every year. I'm not surprised. I mean, they just, know what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, that's it's such an intelligent organization when it comes to the draft. Always yeah. top-heavy with quality. They know they you know what they're that, doing. You know, you know Lamar is going to run – the ball and he's going to be able to pass it with that big arm, but also they under, understand the utilization of the running game with Dobbins. So not a surprise. What, what do you think of Taylor? The next level? Uh, yeah. We're talking about someone that was a second round pick going to yeah. Indianapolis. Yeah. Another player that, that I really like. I mean, I, I think he's going to have a fabulous career as well. Uh, you know, what's been amazing to me about his career. And you talk about the amount of t- touches that he's had just in three years uh, with the Badgers. But he was always healthy. So he was always available. None of these shoulder injuries, hamstrings, none of that stuff held him out. He was always ready to go each and every Saturday for the program. So I think it's going to be that same style that he's going to give Indianapolis. And he's so much faster than people give him credit for. I think he ran 4-3 uh, at the combine, which shocked a lot of people because he looks like a big lumber, but that's not who he is. He still has that straight line speed as well. And I think he catches the ball a lot better than people give him credit for, too. So, you know, as you start to grow at this game, you know, one of the things that he was not asked to do a lot of uh, with the Badgers was pass protect. So that's something that he's going to have to improve on and get better and get more comfortable with. And, and I think that's really the natural process for most running backs that really led their program for, for a few years running the football is that they weren't asked to, to really be involved that much in the passing game, pass protection game, but these guys are willing blockers, and I think they'll be fine. I am um, curious about uh, your thoughts on some of these wide receivers as well that was taken from the Big Ten into the uh, into the NFL draft. As we talk about the draft with Howard Griffith on the Big Ten Network on ESPN 1000. So I'm hoping that in a few years that I am right about some of these guys because I was, you know, as you watch the draft, you're waiting for names to come up there. I mean, is KJ Hill really seventh round material? <laughs> or I mean, I mean seventh round deep, deep into the draft, right? What do you What do you remember about KJ Hill uh, going to the Chargers seventh round from Ohio State? He is a baller. Now, and this is one of the things you have to remember when you talk about KJ Hill. Right? You go watch him. He's competing against first-round draft picks every day in practice, and he gets open. You know, you don't, you don't see that a lot. And for whatever reason, and, and I think a lot of the evaluation process this year had a lot to do with, you know, the coronavirus and things being shut down, but he is going to be an absolute steal. He's going to make a lot of plays and score a lot of touchdowns. I mean, because he, he understands the game. He can run routes. He understands what separation is all about. You know, watched him down at the Senior Bowl, really did an outstanding job. And, and what I like about these, these Ohio State guys, this is just one of the things, is, I guess it's just how they're, they're wired. They're always willing to help the opponent. 
So they're in a situation where they're competing in practice with you know a guy obviously trying to make plays on them. But then after practice, they go back and you know they sit around and you know they work things out. You know, and that's what they do. And you know that's one of the things that will help players as they continue to move forward. But when you look at you know look at Hill, he's going to be a playmaker. He really is. Yeah, at this, uh, I look forward to it. So I'll give you something that some have talked about here when it comes to the draft. So because the Bears uh, took Cole Komet at the time that they did, and you start to see how some of these dominoes start to fall, Howard, there was questions about Delpit from LSU as a DB and Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, <laughs> from Minnesota, right? So out of those three, Howard, who's the better player? Grand Delpit. Yeah, and 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 I'm gonna tell you, it ain't close. Uh, Grant battled a lot of injuries, which I think hindered him in his ability to make tackles this year. And, and that's what he was—that's what he was docked for. The amount of missed tackles that he had this year, and Winfield was given a lot of credit for the production, the interceptions that he made this year. Uh, Grant is an unbelievable player. He's played at a very high level. I just think he—he he just if he can stay healthy, oh man, you talk about range—a legit six-three guy that that can cover ground, willing to hit, understands what the game is about. He is, you know, next level type player. I mean, there's a reason that he wore number seven uh, last season for LSU. That number seven goes to the best player on the team. And, mm-hmm. and many say, talk about that if he had been able to come out as a sophomore, uh, he would have been a top top five pick. I mean, coming into the season, most people thought he was a top five pick. But then, you know, you saw the missed tackles. You saw some of the injuries that he had. And it just didn't, you know, he just ended up falling. But <laughs> I would take him in a heartbeat all day, every day. I uh, So lastly, I want to get your thoughts on maybe some other players that you're looking forward to seeing play on the next level. You watch the Big Ten. Any other players you're looking forward to seeing how they're going to fare? A.J. Epinesa in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that you know, doesn't necessarily jump off, the, off uh, the tape, but he makes plays. He's very effective. But when you watch him and you're just sitting there talking to him, you wonder, oh, physically he doesn't look like he's going to – he doesn't look – let me – he doesn't look like Chase Young. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we're talking about. And he doesn't have the same gear that, that Chase Young has, but he is very productive. Last year was his first year being being a starter, but but I think he's going to make a lot of plays. Uh, Etor Grossmatos from Penn State, another defensive end, came out early, went to Carolina. I think that's a player that, that has a chance to really be special and go out and make a lot of plays. And, and I think a name that, that people – probably ought to keep an eye on is Quintez Cephas uh, from the Badgers. I think he ended up going to Detroit. I think he'll be a, a really good player for them. And, you know, talked about, uh, we talked about Jeffrey Akuda. Jeffrey Akuda believed that he, he was the best wide receiver and the toughest wide receiver that he went against his entire time at Ohio State. So that's pretty high praise for him. Well, all right, my friend. I'm glad you you uh, stopped by. It's uh, interesting the Andrew Thomas pick for the uh, Giants over uh, Tristan Wirfs, and I know you watched it in <laughs> Iowa. But what's the Giants though? You know, Dave Gettleman knows everything. Just ask him. You know, so Man, it's... Tristan Wirfs is going to be a. Woo. 
He's a freakish athlete. And I'm going to tell you, if the, and that's one of the things that Iowa always they, – they, their guys are ready to go when it comes to the draft. There are a couple other guys that were drafted from there, and they always seem to stick and, and really pan out because I think they do a great job of really developing the players uh, there at Iowa. So it's a lot of players in the Big Ten to look forward to watching uh, as their careers move forward. Man, just put it right down State Street. Don't you? Aren't you just trying to tell us that if you if you're looking for a Big Ten player, you're looking for linemen and tight ends. If you're an SC, <laughs> if you if, if 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 it's the SEC, you're looking for skill position guys. Man, there's some at? dudes. Yeah, there's some dudes in the SEC that can play tight end too. But I would tell you, those big defensive tackles uh, that can rush the passer. Like I thought, Brown uh, from from Auburn you know, would be one of you know that go in that third spot, but they took Akuda. But that dude, I mean, he's a pass rusher. He's just not a guy that's, that's going to you know, suck up space. He can rush the passer from that defensive tackle position. And those guys are hard, hard to come by. Bryson Hopkins is going to be another good player, I think, out of Purdue tight end. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at this list. There's some quality here that I enjoyed watching on Saturdays. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, you know, how they are going to fare in the next level. It's going to be fun. Well, yeah, well uh, hopefully we can get back out on the field here pretty soon there, Hoodie. Well, well, that's the that's the thing. Like, I don't have to go to the game. If they don't want me there, I understand. <laughs> like, I, I'll, I like the experience on the big HD TV in the hood cave, so it's good. Like, listen, you don't you don't have to beg me to come out there or, yeah. or no, no, no. It's, it's it, until it's safe. I'm good at the crib. Just put I'll it be on. Right at the crib. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you, my friend. Howard, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. As always, all right. Anytime, buddy. Take care. It is Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network uh, with us here as we talk about the NFL draft on ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 takes you back to 98 with the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, The Last Dance. What time is it? Relive the glory of Michael Jordan and the Bulls going for their sixth title in eight years. That wasn't Michael Jordan out there. It was God disguised as Michael Jordan. Jordan and the Bulls granted a film crew full access to document their bid for a second three-peat. It continues this Sunday night at 8. ESPN's Jalen and Jacoby react to it immediately after. Recap all the episodes on Mondays with Cap and Company, Carmen and Yurko, Waddle and Sylvie, and Under the Hood. They lived it with you. I had to do what was best for me. Watch this incredible 10-part documentary on ESPN. Talk about it on Chicago's home for sports. The Last Dance. Presented by Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment. Take time to chill and please celebrate responsibly. You guys not allowed? No, I'm just kidding. On ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter. At TweetJHood. The... NFL draft has come and gone, but we still have plenty of time to talk about the Bears and the NFL right here under the hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Um, So my overall thoughts on the Bears draft was I thought that it was the right choice to get Cole Komet at tight end because they needed a tight end. Uh, Never mind about 10 tight ends in the room. You need to have one good one, and they have one now in Cole Komet, who's probably going to be a cornerstone for the franchise for a while. And then getting the corner Jalen Johnson because you need to have a corner, uh, and so the Bears are able to do that. I'm just my disconnect with the Bears is not what happened on draft day because you know how it is. Because this might be, I might be talking about you, and if this relates to you, I'm talking to you. 
um, just always complaints on draft day. I mean, it's it just, it could be the best player in college football. You didn't get the cornerback that I wanted. Where's that interior alignment that we need? Look, we know that the Bears have a lot of needs on the offensive line, a lot of needs when it comes to um, their secondary. Um, more needs, I would say, uh, at the wide receiver spot. But the thing is, is that but even before the draft took place last week, you just knew that just throwing money at holes is just not going to get it done. Uh, you want to be able uh, to be able to have some new players and some fresh players on your roster that you feel that can elevate you to the next level. But when the Packers and the Vikings continue to be over the Bears in the NFC North, that's the thing that's such it's so it's it's such a, a problem. When you're a Bears fan, because you're saying, okay, where's the success year in and year out for the Bears? Not just one 12 and four year, then out of the playoffs. You have to have sustained success in order to be able to even get in the mix for the NFC Championship and get to the Super Bowl. And so, even before the draft, it was just kind of like, wow, you know, this this team is set defensively and offensively and offensive league it still lacks behind. I mean, it, you know, I can I can quote chapter and verse all the numbers because you and I have talked about this for a while now in the offseason on how the Bears need to get more points on the board. And it's almost like the Bears settled on their wide receiving core. Just like, okay, well, Allen Robinson's good, and, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can with um, – with Anthony Miller and see how that works out. And then all the other wide receivers in the team will see if what they can be able to help. And to me, you just have to be able to address that because an offensive league need more offensive weapons. Komet's just one guy. And I know this will be the Cole Komet draft because he was the first pick taken in this draft for the bears, but it really shouldn't be. It should be the Ryan pace draft in which he was selling assets left and right to try to win now. And who knows if the Bears are even going to be in the playoffs this upcoming season. We will see. Other teams that really stood out to me as far as this draft's concerned is the Philadelphia Eagles by taking Jalen Hurts. And I, I've been reading left a lot of places, ESPN and Pro Football Focus and all these other places about, now why would the Eagles get Jalen Hurts, the quarterback from Oklahoma? Why would they do that? That's, that's very odd. Why would they? Well, the reason why that you'd get Jalen Hurts is because Carson Wentz can't stay healthy. You see the playoffs last year? I mean, there's a reason why McCown had to come in, that 40-plus-year-old McCown trying to piecemeal an offense together because, once again, Wentz is hurt. I don't know why it's a head-scratcher when Jalen Hurts, who has proven himself on, on two prolific programs in Oklahoma and in Alabama, both of these programs are at the top of the heap when it comes to college football, and he played for both, and he flourished in both. And he was drafted on day two of the draft for the Eagles, and he fell right to the Eagles' lap, and that's a great pick for them because they need somebody they can rely on that can stay healthy, for God's sakes. I mean, you got Carson Wentz, and like, he can't stay healthy. And so that's why, Wentz, why, why Hurts is there. I don't know why that's a mystery. That's a good pick for the Eagles. Also, I, I believe that the... Um, a, f- a few other teams that stand out to me is Baltimore, and it's no surprise, right? Baltimore always does a great job with uh, with their draft picks. Baltimore, they need a linebacker. They got uh, Queen at the linebacker spot. They got Dobbins, who uh, Howard and I were just talking about, the running backs uh, in college football, now going to the pros. Dobbins is a terrific player running back. Duvernay is a top wide receiver out of Texas. Uh, so they drafted a few day one starters, so the Ravens, do what they do, just excellent at the top. Once again, a terrific draft for them. Um, so I really like what they did. They 
that you have four or five picks there in which they can be able to pay dividends at some point for the Ravens. So that's a positive for them. I thought that um, I thought among some of the other teams that I see here on this sheet, looking through the draft, I thought that the Carolina Panthers getting Gross Matos, uh, the defensive end from Penn State, was key for them. It's, it's somewhat of a rebuild for Carolina, but they, they still want to be able to get some parts. They have some players like Jeremy Chim, the safety out of SIU, Southern Illinois, uh, was a player that was going to be a top 70 player. He was fell at 64. So I thought that, that was very good. Um, the Vikings had a really good day. I think the Vikings had the best day of any team in the NFC North. I thought that the Vikings had a very interesting draft with Gladney and Dantzler. They have two corners, and if one is not productive, the other one is going to be. If they have two productive corners out of this draft that they had, boy, that's pretty strong for them. Um, They have a stud in Jefferson at wide receiver for them. Uh, Ezra Cleveland is an offensive tackle from Boise State that they were able to pick up. Um, So the Vikings, they had taken a wide receiver offensive tackle in two corners. Um, Pretty good. I thought they had a tremendous draft. I thought that the Ravens, I'm sorry, not the Ravens, the Rams had a very good draft as well. So it's, it's so many, to me, there's parallels to the Bears and the, uh, and the Bears, the Bears and the Rams. There's a parallel. And the parallel is, is that the Rams were there, right? The Bears had a chance to get to the playoffs. They fell short because of the kicker, right? But the Rams were able to get through, break through, win the conference, and take on the New England Patriots. But McVay and Nagy are both offensive-minded. And the Rams were able to get to the Super Bowl, and they laid an egg, of course, because for that prolific offense, they couldn't do anything offensively against the Patriots. And it was really a bowling shoe, ugly, old-school game, but the Patriots found a way to win. So with Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley had some great moments at Georgia as a college football player. He gets to the pros. He doesn't have quite the same motor. I'm, I'm blessed that I saw all of his best plays in college, apparently, because in the pros, it just wasn't there. So the Rams addressed the running game by having Akers. Uh, he's going to be a day one guy by default to be able to help that running game. Um, they, and it was Akers, when he was at Florida State, but ran behind a bad offensive line and and still was able to get 1,000-yard uh, plus uh, out of that particular team and that bad offensive line of Florida State. And I just thought that they were able to get a wide receiver they needed as well. Um, so I, I liked what the Rams did uh, in their draft. And so and there's a few teams that stand out, but I thought that there's some teams here that really did well um, on the big board finding holes. And to me, it's about, hey, we we need this particular skill set for our team. Some teams did it well, and some teams, like the Bears, did the best they could based on their, uh, <laughs> you know, based on their, uh, on how many picks they had. Uh-oh. Uh, before we get to Tales from the Hood, uh-oh, there he is. Jimbo from Lockport on ESPN 1000. Hello, Jimbo. How you doing, buddy? How you doing, Jonathan? I'm good, thank you. What's going on? Hey, uh, I'm really excited. I have been down with the Bulls for about five, six years. I lost interest, but I... I kind of think I like this ever. Is it Everly, the GM? Yeah, Everly. I, I kind of like this thing, man. I I like the way they're going. And I mean, if you're going to clean house, clean house. You know. Yeah. Well, you 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 need new blood. You've had the same guys in there for a long time. It's good to have a different a uh, different opinion in there. Someone that's seen something different than just. 
you know, Deerfield for 20 plus years. Exactly. You know? That's like, exactly. Not to cut you off, but exactly. It's like the Blackhawks ever going, why, why did they fire the president? Because they wouldn't get rid of Stan Bowman and he didn't want to undercut him. You got to do it from the top down, Jonathan. You can't nitpick. I'm just going to fire the coach. I'm just going to fire this. You hire a man. You're the president of operations. You hire the general manager. He picks the coach. You know, so on. Right? Don't you? Just like the Packers. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> just, hey, like your, man. just like I, your Packers. I like that, that love thing. Because you know what? We're not going to throw a guy in the hole. We're going to give him two, three years. He's going to get his feet on the ground. He's a young man. Green Bay is changing their offense. Yeah. They got that A.J. Dillon. He's a pounder with four or five speed. We're going to run that ball in Wisconsin in December. You have to. You have there's to. no more. There's no more four guys go out, and we're going to throw. We're going to throw deep. You have no other that choice. Game's you, over, man. Packers don't have any all pros at wide receivers, so you might as well run the ball. Well, hey, we got one. Well, well. You know, hey, you should, those guys got to step up, man. They draft those guys. You got to step up. You should. You should have more than one. I think the Packers deserve more than one All Pro at wide receiver. How do you know they don't? Oh, come on. Well, oh, hey. I, I guess if they did, I guess Aaron Rodgers wouldn't complain about it, right? Oh, he wouldn't complain. Are you, he complains. He's dating Danica Patrick. He got some brother. All right. <laughs> call call tomorrow. Call me tomorrow, Jimbo. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Come on, man. Move up. The pack is back. Oh, we geez. won't accept under 10, 11 wins. All right, Jimbo. Call back tomorrow. All right. I love you, Jonathan. I love you, brother. There he is, Jimbo from Lockport, the Packer fan, checking in. <laughs> just with random thoughts. He just had a, had a thought, decided to call in. All right. We have, uh, we'll review uh, the Last Dance documentary with Tales from the Hood. That's coming up next. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Tales from the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So glad that you are with me here. We give you stories from sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Jared Payton. Son of Walter Payton, broadcaster for WGN Channel 9. We'll get his thoughts about the Bears as well. He's always got strong thoughts about the Bears. Get his thoughts about the draft and uh, the offseason for the Bears. So we'll talk about it right here on ESPN 1000. Um, Sean Davis is producing the show tonight. And, Sean, I just, um, I've gotten a kick out of this. Uh, see, i gotta, I got to move away from this. Kraus Jeff because I'm just going to laugh the whole time. So let me move this. The one dancing on the plane after uh, this week. The red cup that was wiggle. Hilarious. Yeah. The red cup wiggle is just great. I just, I, I'm going to move past this because I'm just going to keep laughing at what I saw. <laughs> God, it's so great. I mean, that's the best part of the, the documentary so far. Just the the red cup wiggle. I uh, I have really enjoyed this 
and I mentioned earlier that it's just about the journey, right? How difficult it is. These, how many shows have you produced? How many shows have you hosted in which your co-host or people that listen to you, like they listen to me, will say that you know why come Russ doesn't have a championship? You know what's up with James Harden? I don't like the way he plays, and all these these people, you know, dissing some of the top athletes, some of the best basketball players out there because they haven't won a championship, not understanding the journey, right? I mean, how difficult. And then, and then on top of that, you know, we, we talk about how great Russell Westbrook is. I'll just use him as an example because he's Mr. Triple-Double of the modern era. Well, Russ has to be able to to trust others too, and he does it to an extent because he gives you 10 assists a game. That's what he averages. But it's just about making sure that the big shots don't always come from him. It goes from other places. Uh, LeBron learned that. Some of the all-time greats had to learn that. And so that's that's what I, I tie what we're watching now to the modern era in a lot of ways. It's very much like the modern era. And that's the one thing you pick up is that I remember Steve Kerr in that series with Houston talking to Kevin Durant saying, look, there is a time. It's funny because he wasn't on that team, but he was pointing out the fact that in game five, it was John Paxson that hit the major shots. Mm-hmm. It was like four or five in a row down the stretch. And Mike said, I saw him hit the first one, and that let me know I can keep going to him. And he just kept going to him. It was amazed. It was an amazing thing to just watch the Lakers continually leave him wide open. They just refused to allow Michael Jordan to beat them in that game. And John Paxson stepped up and did what he was supposed to do, knock down the open jumpers. I'm glad, I'm glad that Jerry Reinsdorf is not as outspoken uh, as he once did in his, what I would consider his prime. I don't know if Horace Grant and the Blue Flu is in this documentary, but, you know, Horace got it too. Just like Scotty and, like, the whole thing with Phil. Like, Reinsdorf was, I remember this, you know, growing up watching the Bulls, just, just how Reinsdorf was locking stuff with Kraus, loving the loyalty of, of Kraus, and to me, it's always been about the players and the coaching staff to to help build an organization. Uh, I remember Horace Grant, you know, the, like Jerry Ryan's are holding a, uh, holding a press conference saying that Horace Grant wasn't available for this game because he had the quote-unquote blue flu. Um, of course, Horace was just part of that first three-peat. But just, you know, there's a guy there that could have been part of the next generation of Bulls, but, you know, they moved on because the organization wanted to move on, you know another underrated piece that they just didn't want to value or didn't value as much as other teams valued. I think his contract with Orlando was like the high, he was like the third or fourth highest paid player mm-hmm. in the NBA, which is crazy at that point in time. And Scottie <laughs> Pippen still, we know from episode two, Scottie Pippen was undervalued. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan didn't get paid until his last three seasons. So when we look at that and you look at the modern era of basketball, you definitely don't see a lot of guys that are underpaid. You'll see a lot of guys overpaid. Oh, yeah. But you'll see a lot of guys <laughs> underpaid in today's NBA. Did you catch the slight that Jordan had on Cartwright establishing the post oh, early? Man, I don't want him to have the ball with five seconds left. <laughs> he Hell no. <laughs> Hilarious. He, Hilarious. I know it's like small, but it, but that was something that Phil wanted to be able to establish the big man because that was, man, turn on any Bulls game. Turn on any Bulls game with Cartwright on it, and the post was established first. It's like, you know, the triangle came in, and they, they got it to Cartwright so they can get the big man going, right? Jordan didn't even like that. I mean, 29 years later, he's still mad that they had to establish the post. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> Bill got the first shot 
maybe the first two or three shots, and yeah. he was the first sub out. Yes. <laughs> That's enough. He was definitely the first sub out. Established the post. I like that because you can always depend on that. Like the first you sit down, watch the Bulls game, and there's Cartwright, you know. You know, it's funny. I didn't know that much about Cartwright before he came to the Bulls. I mean, I don't think you, you're too young to watch. No, like, I remember. I remembered him at, with the Knicks. Absolutely. I remember when the trade went down. I remember being upset because I was a huge Charles Oakley fan. Yeah. And I mean, in connection with that, the next move was what? Doug Collins being gone. All of that that happened that we look back and say, you know what? It worked out. But at the time, Bulls fans didn't like those moves. But they eventually turned out to be very good moves and good components to surround Michael Jordan with the elements he needed to function at the highest level on the basketball court. I had to go back in YouTube and watch Cartwright like in his prime when he was killing guys with 24 points. <laughs> like, like that, that odd jumper was killing it on the baseline. Like, I remember that. He couldn't hit it for us, though. No, it was. Oh, bad. he couldn't hit it for us. <laughs> no, 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 that wasn't. That wasn't going to happen. Like every now and then, but boy, that was. It's interesting. I had to go back and and look at some of his. I'm like, okay, all right, putting on the floor, going to the basket, like yeah. you know, a younger Cartwright, yes. But it just that's kind of funny. Were you shocked that Doug was so forthcoming, admitting that by the time the second season rolled around, he could feel that Phil Jackson was going to be the next coach. I'm surprised that Doug said that on the record. Yeah. But. <laughs> What's your tidbit? Uh, somebody will tell the story of why Doug was no longer the head coach of the Bulls. And it's not going to be me. It won't be me. But he said he felt that Phil was going to be the next coach of the Bulls. And I can understand that because, again, the parallel is it's like we have today. Gar... He knew that Fred was Fred Hoiberg was going to be the head coach while Thibodeau was in the job, right? We hadn't heard about Fred until like a year and a half out at, uh, left on Thibodeau's time with the Bulls, and so you know Phil with the Collins, the, the, like there's there's symmetry there where the uh, Tim Floyd and Phil, like like already a year before we had step, a year in the in the champ, last championship actually. The last year of Phil, we continue reading the papers about Tim Floyd. Like, why is Tim Floyd connected to the Bulls? Well, because Krause had already started cornering the market on the next head coach. It was Tim Floyd out of nowhere. So this is kind of a Bulls thing. I won't tell the story of Doug, though. You could tell that. No, the funniest moment for me was Ron Harper Mm -hmm. going back in his mind to that 89 shot. Well... And saying, I told Lenny Wilkins, Lenny Wilkins, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame NBA player. I told Lenny Wilkins, I got I got MJ. And he said it twice. And Lenny Wilkins says, Elo, you got MJ. I want Pip. You go, you go stick Pip. Go to the corner and stick Pip. Everybody knew MJ was getting the ball with about 3.5 seconds. He called it BS. He is still. It was still. He he's on the Last Dance yep. documentary talking about his three championships and the last of them that he won with the Chicago Bulls, and it still irritates him to that. Lets you know how competitive these guys are. It still irritates him to this day that he lost that game to Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. It's still painful to a lot of guys. Yeah, I don't know what Lenny was thinking. That's supposed to be a great coach there. What was he thinking there? 
Like, <laughs> it's Michael Jordan. There's only one person who can get the ball because Pippen was not established, or Sellers was not established during that time oh, to really get the ball. Oh. You know? You know, so, like, it just... It, it's just the way history is written. You knew that Jordan's get the ball, but then you put Craig Elo on him. <laughs> it's like, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Ron's still mad. And by the way, said it clearly, by the way. No stutters. Yes, he, he did. He said it, he was very, he's very clear. He's still mad. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, was, he was very clear. He goes, uh, you know, it's complete BS. Okay, whatever. That's what he said. I was like, all right, Ron, nice and clear. So everybody could hear it. <laughs> he was not happy at all. I, I'm still just amazed at the. Um, I'm amazed at some of the footage that we saw from Phil Jackson coaching in uh, in Mexico. I just think I don't know where they found that grainy film, but that was just fun to watch. I enjoyed that. That was a part of his journey. I had no clue existed. Me either. Yeah, had no clue it existed. Me either. I knew about the CBA stuff. I knew that. I just didn't know. I had no idea he had. Coached in some Wobegon country with his short sleeves and clean shaven. <laughs> Isn't it funny? But maybe is this something that has gone on and still exists today in the Bulls organization where it seems like management never wants their head coach to be able to feel comfortable? Yeah. They always want somebody on that coaching staff that can make them feel a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, Doug was uncomfortable with Tex Winter. Right. And, but but should have embraced Tex. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look look absolutely. at what Tex brought. I mean, I just you know banished him to the scores table. That was petty, petty, super petty. Yes, but 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 this is but this is coaching. Coaching no different than broadcasting or certain areas of business in which someone feels threatened because someone knows more or, or they have a different approach, and so now jealousy sets in, now envy sets in, and just it, and that was the that's also very underrated about the documentary too. Doug, why would you push that guy behind the scorer's table or someplace else away from your bench? Why? He can't help you? I mean, ultimately, it's your job to decide what you want, but just to push him away like he doesn't belong, well, that's not right. And, of course, Phil just beloves him, spends time with him, downloads everything about the triangle offense, and what do you know? He becomes chief triangle. Carmen Electra still looks good, doesn't she? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. I wonder if Mike knew she was there. She yeah. says she hid. No, she knew. No, he, he's he knew. everywhere. Yeah. You know. I, I, I told Eric last night, I said, um, you know, there is a connection to Dennis Rodman taking 48 hours or more away from the team, which was crazy. At that time, like, well, he's taking the, a sabbatical? Okay, whatever. I guess uh, for... I guess for the normal Bulls fan during that time, it was just like, okay, whatever it takes for him to come back, right? What, if it takes 48 hours to go to Vegas, whatever. You know, LeBron did the same thing. Well, LeBron was more like a week, right? Yeah, like week or almost two. Yeah. <laughs> Went to Miami to work out with Wade or whatever. Yeah, first remember year this? back in Cleveland. You remember this, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like he, he also took a sabbatical and a vacation and was wrecked over the coals for it. <laughs> and that's something. I wouldn't have mind going with Dennis. I would have been a teammate like, hey, do you need me to watch him to make sure he gets back okay? <sighs> it's kamikaze time. <laughs> it's kamikaze time. <laughs> There's one story of me hanging out with Rodman. Actually, there's several, but the one I will tell on the air will, will be um, during the Final Four again in, uh, in Houston. 
Rodman, for whatever reason, popped up in Houston as the final four. And it's two in the morning. And the bar, you know, it, everyone's still scurrying around, but the bars are going to close in that hotel that we're in, that hotel bar we're in. And Rodman comes in. He has a feather boa, and he's with some woman. I don't know who it was at the time. Whenever the last time the um, Final Four is in Houston, I guess that's the time I saw it. And he was just as nice a guy as possible. Sat down uh, on the at the bar uh, next to me and a couple other people and just shooting the you know what just this conversation and just do doing shots and he's like all right guys and he just gets kind of just went on his way into the houston night <laughs> it was wow. a half hour didn't even ask him like basketball story just asked him like his time in houston or whatever and i told him like i told him i was like dennis i i don't like these lines man i don't like i don't have to like stand in lines like i, I said you don't have a problem with that right he goes oh no there's a couple of bars where i had to stand in line at first i'm like really if they, they know you're dennis robin he goes yeah he goes yeah bro i didn't like it <laughs> it's, like, it's like that was just just regular conversation you know so weirdest that, experience i ever had chicago party wise was going to the crowbar mm-hmm. do you remember when dennis robin was connected with the crowbar yes i do before yeah so i go in there and i think we tried to go to another venue and the venue was like full capacity so like man let's check out the crowbar we get in we walk upstairs it was like three levels we get up to the second level and it's like okay and we hear music on the third level that's totally different we didn't feel the vibe on the second level we go up there and the scene was just like very erotic. I'll just leave it like that. Sure. Like velvet lounge chairs and chases and man, anything that can be going on was going on. Oh yeah. And I immediately was like, nah, this is not my scene. <laughs> this is not my scene. It's like, man, is, is Cliff Levinson's Riviera still open? <laughs> 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 we can always count on Cliff during the first three P. What to time give is us that? <laughs> what time is that? <laughs> Most people don't know about Cliff Levinson's Riviera. Oh, it was boy. a darn good time. Oh, boy. Yes, sir. Cliff still lives in the area. Yes, he does. <laughs> he actually had an event at the Riviera over All-Star Weekend. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. What time is it? Jack and Coke time. Woof. <laughs> and that's Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000. Uh, coming up at 9 o'clock, we will hear from Jared Payton, his thoughts about the Bears. And don't forget, if you're a wrestling fan, oh, I got you. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday, every Tuesday at 9 o'clock, 9.30, as we talk about uh, the AEW, the WWE, and everything else around pro wrestling. That comes up at 9.30 right here on UTH. <laughs> This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.